All right, good morning, everybody. So by way of an introduction to the sermon this morning, um, I want to draw you in with just a little bit of humor, if you will. And then, but this little soundbite that I'm going to play, it speaks to a, a bigger, more serious point. You know, I, um, so it speaks to a very serious point. I, uh, in watching Hee Haw, which is what this was, um, I would laugh at that. But as time went on and the Lord got a hold of my life, I thought, listen to what they really are saying. Is that really a good confession and what, and what you're called to believe and what you think your outlook on life looks like? So this morning, with all of my being and with what I'm going to communicate, the Lord wants to speak to us on hope. And... In that scripture reading that Mike shared, and in the New Testament, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew says it this way as well, reiterating that prophetic word from Isaiah. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So, so two things. Going in, well, well, going into here, into this message, I want to start with relevance. Why? Look at hope. An author and Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, says this, The prophetic tasks of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. Grieve in a society that practices denial and express hope in a society that lives in despair. We don't have to look very far or go very far or even here. It's all around us. It's, it was true back then and it's true just as much now. There is darkness. There is despair. There is death. And uh, it doesn't paint, uh, that doesn't paint a very pretty, uh, a good picture. I was reminded of the Christmas Eve service, and many of them in times past, of the lighting of the candles in the service when we sang Silent Night, and then the lighting of the candle of the person next to us. What a powerful privilege we as believers, as Christians, as the body of Christ, what a powerful privilege we have been given. To bring light into somebody else's life. To bring hope into somebody else's life. To bring Christ into somebody's life that's dark, that's bleak, that has no good outlook. I was reminded of the Christmas Eve, uh, excuse me, I was reminded of the, the, one of the verses as I was doing this. 
um, from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In that song, that Christmas song, it says, Light and life to all he brings, speaking about Christ. Risen with healing in his wings, while he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, that's us, born to give us second birth, hallelujah. You want to talk about a second chance, that is a big, eternal truth. We have been given the opportunity to have a second chance. And so in speaking on hope and looking at hopelessness, um, the New Testament puts it this way. In Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in Ephesians 2.1, we were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the curse, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Let's think about those words for a minute. Dead in trespasses. Not little dead, not mostly dead, not halfway dead, totally, completely dead. No life, nothing. And trespasses in sins in which we once walked. And the perpetrator, the one who's taking the lead here, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that works that is what work now in the sons of disobedience so given that in that being in that state and following the perpetrator following the one who's doing this and no alternative apart from Christ Ephesians chapter 2.12 Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. To be clear, there's no good outlook, there's no good expectation there's no good vision. It's downcast. It's depressing. There's no joy. Some have said it this way. Oh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, that's the train coming towards me. It, but it makes the point. Hopelessness is bleak. Hopelessness is awful. And to me, Without Christ and what this hopelessness is, that's a very scary thought. It is. And to think then that there is, that there, to, to be in that place and then to even go, take it one step farther for all eternity. So, one final verse, a set of verses, if you will, in Romans chapter 5 verses 12 and following, it speaks about the fact, it kind of alludes, well, it did allude to this, but in Romans chapter 5, 12 and following, it says that in the garden, 
when Adam fell and through Adam, sin reigned. Death reigned. I don't think I can make it any more powerful than what the Word of God says. It reigned. And, it's, and, and the word there means like, like a king. Reign. I say jump, you say how high. It's not open to any other you know, response. Sin reigned. Death reigned. Now, on the other side of the coin, hope, as some people express, it's, it's like, okay, I got the dice here. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. I'm going to throw it. This is what I need. It is not a roll of dice. It's not a, a Hail Mary pass, so to speak. It's not happenstance. The true hope, as it is given in Scripture, is found in and only in the person of Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, the life. He's the final. No other option, no other way. And it says of Christ in Colossians, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That hope, that word hope, biblical hope is a confident expectation of eternal salvation. Confident expectation. We're going to sing a song later on. Maybe we've sung it already. From Isaiah, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. That doesn't mean we have to start singing when we get to the gates. We have opportunity now because of Christ to sing now, to rejoice now, no matter what we face, good or bad, because He is our hope. This hope in the Scripture it permeates everything. It's not just a topic that sits, that's a nice biblical word to check off. If you go through the scriptures, you will find scriptures that if it doesn't use the word hope, it implies hope. So just one example from the Old Testament. Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. That's right. That's a confident expectation so that no matter what storm, no matter what trial comes, who has the final word? Christ, our hope. That word is so powerful. Joyful, confident expectation. I like that. In First Peter chapter 1, I want to read this set of verses, and this would be the sermon text, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I like that. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded 
through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, I would like to debate sometimes with God about a little while, but this is what he says, and uh, he knows better, so. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I like that. Obtaining the outcome. It's not up for grabs. If he said it, that settles it forever. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that now have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. The final verse here that I want to read, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I can't say it any more succinct, more precise, more accurately, more powerfully, you fill in the blanks, than what the Word of God just said. And I like that because that encompasses our journey with the Lord. That encompasses what may come our way. And so if I had to give a title to this message today, I would call it The Certainty and Strength of Hope. And if you remember nothing else about this message today, I want you to remember this little dramatization that I'm going to do right now that the Lord gave me. And if I could do this with each one of you, I would. But for the sake of time, I can't. But as surely as I'm standing here, as surely as I'm speaking, the, this dramatization, the Lord gave this to me. And I pray that it touches each one of your hearts and does something in the sight of each one of you and transforms and makes alive in you and raises you up and fortifies you because of this, these sets of verses. So the context for this dramatization, my second and only one, I did one other one and this is the second one a while back. This one is going to be based on Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Think about far off. If God says far, that's really far. I'm just saying, I can picture what far looks like, like, oh, out of sight. No, when God means far, He means really far. That's far. So, in Hebrews chapter 6, at verse 13, to give context again, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by 
whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, and that's what this dramatization is going to do, to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. How many of you know that when God sets his mind to do something, he's going to do it? He's going to do what he wants. Is that safe to say? I think so. He's God. There's no one else like him. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. I love encouragement. I really do. It's not flattery. It's God building us up and fortifying, and that's what I'm going to talk about in just a little bit. To hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure, oh wow, listen to those words, as sure as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to represent the Lord and I'm going to be the anchor. And I'm going to toss this out to someone who is far. And this rope represents his promise. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw this rope to Steve. That rope being his promise. And now I, the Lord, I'm going to draw Steve to me. Regardless of where he's at, what's going on in his life, and it's probably serious if you've got no hope, I brought him to myself. Who was far, he's near. And now, I'm not done. I, the Lord, have bound Steve to me. Let that sink in. I pray, I really do, I pray this grips your heart like a gripped mind. That this strengthen you. That this fortify you. That this encourage you. That this make your resolve strong because it's not our resolve, it's His resolve. He's bound Himself to us. And He did that by way of the cross, by way of the resurrection, by way of the eternal covenant which He established. And so this, my character, speaking as God, is unchangeable, which is said in those scriptures. My character is unchangeable. My promises are unbreakable. They are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. My character, unchangeable. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no shadow of turning with me. His promises unbreakable.
So I guess we're stuck here, huh? Forever. <laughs> we were, hey, but you know what? Part of that is that not only, which, which has been another and could be another sermon, but not only has God joined me and him together, he's joined us together. He's joined us together. We're family. We're body. I can't think of anything closer than those two statements, family and body. We're not just a collection of individuals. We are family. And that's what he does. And that's who he is. He even says, I set the solitary in families. So you know that it's important to God. So if you remember nothing else today, let this fortify you. And when you go through a various trial, by the way, we're not this hope. We don't get a free pass. We don't get to be exempt from storms. We're going to go through them. And uh, it reminds me of a scene from, from uh, Lord of the Rings, the two towers. Theoden and Aragon are talking, and he says, I will, risk, I will not risk open war, the king says. And Aragon says, whether you risk open war or not, it's here. It is here, folks. It's, it, it's true back then. It's true now. We've got an enemy. And just uh, one more thing, just uh, by way of encouragement, the house built on the rock, the house that is a doer of the word that, and is built on the rock. What did it say about the house built on the rock? On the rock? And that's sir, in uh, Matthew 7. It said the, the rains came, the floods came, the winds blew and beat vehemently. That sounds awful to me. I, oh. It sounds awful, but it is awful. Beat, it beat, I mean fiercely beat on that house. But what does it say? It did not fall. Because it was founded on the rock. And honestly, just as a side note, I can't help but think about John and Karen's house. Inside those frames on the two by fours of that house are written the promises of God. So if you want to talk about being fortified, yeah, well, but that's, that's the point. So in finishing, I want, to, I want to conclude with the passage, the final passage there, being girded up. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. You know, when back in that day, they had long robes. And if you try to run in long robes, you're going to trip and fall. So they, they pulled up their long robes and they tied them off. Now in another version it says, it, it speaks of prepare your minds for action. So I'm a firm believer in preventative maintenance. It's being offensively minded. So having, having said that, In Psalm 16, verse 8, David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Just think about that. Being in the presence of the Lord, his presence, this is what, and David's choice to set the Lord before him. I will not be shaken. Prayer and quiet time is not the last resort. It's the first step. 
And that's why I so love and, and, and uh, speak this to and take advantage of this promise or, of, of, or this statement that the Lord made in the parable in uh, Luke 18.1. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. God knows us better than ourselves. He knows what we need. He knows where, where we're at, what we're going through. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. But in talking about praying, there's something else, and I want to be clear on this, and I want you to hear me carefully. In prayer, it's okay to lament. Now, I'm not talking about being a crybaby and just whine and you don't think about the promise of God. But a while back, David Kreuter did a message on praying and, and referencing the book of Psalms. And he said, a big percentage, a large percentage of the Psalms are laments. It's okay to lament. You don't have to put a mask on before God or before other believers and say, I am strong, I am standing, I am firm. God knows, we know. It's okay to lament. Psalm 61, verses 1 through 3. Hear my cry, O Lord. Attend unto my prayer. From the depths of my heart, I cry out to you. And when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So in that verse, you see he doesn't stop with just the lament. He says, okay, God, this is where I am. But you're my rock. You're my hope. You're the way forward. Lead me to that rock. I think God would respond to that. Psalm 13, 1 through 6. David there again writes, How long? How long, Lord? He repeats that. How long? Will you forget me forever? David, really? That's you saying that? It's okay. But if you get to the last verse of that psalm, Verse 6, David, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He makes the choice to rejoice. Why? Because God is his hope. Going back to that Psalm 16, we get the choice of what we set before us. If we, if we choose to set the Lord before us, that Psalm says we won't be shaken. If we choose to set the circumstances before us, it won't end well. So this isn't a smack on the side of the head, but we all know that when we let circumstances dictate the narrative, then our responses are going to probably follow that narrative. But if we set the Lord before us, we won't be shaken. Worship. Worship is another big key. A lot of times when I pray, God brings a song. Well, that shouldn't be surprising. God sings over us. God is, sings over us songs of deliverance. So what I do is when worship comes, I worship, I worship and I pray. And something happens where my focus is not on the circumstances anymore. I'm on another trajectory. I'm on another plane. And my focus is where it rightfully needs to be on the author and perfecter of my faith, the great way maker, the unchangeable one and the faithful one. Almost oh, high, you are my stronghold. When troubles come, you're my hiding place. In that song it goes on to say, those who know you trust you. Where does that happen? That happens in the quiet time. That happens in scripture. And that's why I so love when Steve 
uh, on, on occasion, as he does, not to embarrass you, Steve, but I apologize, when he shares from his quiet time what the Lord said to him for us. But he wants to do that with each one of us. And then, hiding God's word in our heart. God's word is living and active. And the thing that I speak to myself honestly, the words in the scripture, in this book, they were not meant to stay on the paper. They were meant with purpose to, to accomplish something inside of me in the way of transforming me and building me up in Christ. And for me, there are, you know, as we journey, there are quotes that you remember that you hang on to. And so I'm going to reference one that I've used before and that I still remember to this day from Steve Fry. And referencing scripture, we belt ourselves with truth when we fortify ourselves with scripture about God's character. I can think of no powerful thing. I mean, my goodness. To think about his steadfastness and scriptures that may come to mind. His faithfulness, his unchangeableness, his goodness. We sing songs about all of these. And they're true. And that word fortify, when we do this, it means to strengthen so as to protect one against attack. When we do that, that's exactly what happens. Christ is in us, gearing us up, equipping us, being able to withstand. So I've got about much, as much success as knocking that post over if I'm built up in the Word of God. I may hurt my hand, but I'm not going to fall over. But that's what God does in our heart. He makes us firm. He is the one, he says, that is able to make us stand. So I just want to finish up with the fact that Christ is your anchor, my anchor. He is He's what we stand on and we're, we're grounded in His promises. I just want to reiterate one last thing and that is when God gives you a prophetic word in your quiet time, speak it to God, speak it to yourself daily and by these prophetic words that God gives us, we are able to fight a good warfare and enjoy the inheritance that He wants us to have and not allow anything to steal it away. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are good, that you hold us close to yourself, that you have bound yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, I pray today that the words that I spoke, the prophetic act that you gave me to do, Father God, blow into our sails, changes from the inside out, and going forward, be our joy, be the glory and the lifter of our heads, and as we go outside of these walls, let us light up that sphere of influence that you have given to us to bring light and life and hope everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.